Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. So then when it happened, just a whole bunch of things changed in a, like the course of an hour, and I was like, what do I do now? Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by the lovely Allison Brown. Allison, how are you doing today? I am getting in serious training now. Yeah. We've only got days to oh go. Oh my gosh, isn't it exciting? It's exciting and scary and overwhelming and just like we've been working towards this day for months now. And not to say like, well, a bunch of athletes would be like, uh, we've been working on this for years, Jill, but you know, we've been thinking about it for a long time and it's, it's yeah. fun to see at, like people all over the world are starting to get Olympic fever and you see more and more excitement build and it's, it's really cool. Right. And if you follow any of the athletes on Instagram or Twitter, they're all starting to literally pack their bags and go and, and it's, yeah, and right. go. yes. So they're all getting to the airports and we're seeing shot of airports and we're seeing bags packed and I'm getting so nervous for them. Really? Because it's, yeah, I do. Cause I feel very protective of them and I'm nervous for them and I want them all. It's not that I'm saying, Oh, you have to win a gold medal. I just want them all to do really well. Right. Do well I for them. Have great competitions. Yeah, I always want a great competition. You know, when I watch figure skating, I never want anyone to fall. I want them all to have their best skate or their best ski or their best jump at that moment when it means the most to them. Right. And so have, I'm nervous for them. Right. And I, and I want them to have fun. It's exciting to have this whole yeah. world stage and be able to mingle with people from other sports. And that's that's super cool. And just the world spotlight is on you. Just a, it's such a cool opportunity. I, mean, I can't imagine the pressure. Oh, I know. I know. that. I, Yeah, I would crumble under the pressure. Mm -hmm. I might crumble under the pressure of, of recording and broadcasting during the games. Right, right. So let's talk about that real quick. Yes. During, during the games, we will be broadcasting every day. We will have shows that are, we, we like to say our show is a nice tight 30. These shows will be like a good, nice tight 15 minutes. Just a recap yep. of... What we watched, what was cool, what was awesome, what you should go back. If you if you missed it, go back and look for the streams or the DVR or DVR coverage. And that updates will be, on how Team Olympic Fever is doing. That's right, because in case you don't get to see the coverage, you'll want to know how all our team members are doing. So we will have updates on them. And yeah, that, yep. that'll come out every night. We will record sometime in the middle we're, we're trying to figure out our recording schedule along with the viewing schedule so but we'll have something up every night so if you listen to us for your morning commute you will have a new episode daily i'm excited about Make that it. that's gonna be fun yeah i'm i'm feeling the pressure a little bit <laughs> I know, so i know i gotta put together i, I gotta put together the pyeongchang media center at the, <laughs> at the home at the home home television viewing location <laughs> And I just found out I may actually have some guests the night of opening ceremonies Ooh. in my house. 
So I may have to put together, you know, I originally said I wasn't going to have a little soiree, but I might have a little, a little mini soiree. So I'm looking at, I know I'm kind of like, oh, this, this could be interesting. So yeah, I've never done that. It's always just been, you know, me and my family or you and I have watched opening ceremonies Mm -hmm. together. And so it's always been very small. So this could be a totally different a whole new experience. Oh, but it'll be my new Olympic experience. Yeah. Yay. Yay. So as we, as we get closer to the games, we're ticking off some more sports that we want to prepare you for. And today we are talking long track speed skating and cross country skiing. I am so excited to have been able to talk with Aaron Jackson. What a story this is. This is Erin and I are both in the world of roller derby. She skates with Jacksonville Roller Derby and Team USA. And you know, Allison, she actually had to back out of of the Roller Derby World Cup, which is going on this coming weekend. And because she was on Team USA and and then she made the Olympic team and had to back out of Roller oh, Derby so World that changed, Cup. That changed yeah, her that plan changed significantly. Her, yes, it did change her plan significantly. But Erin is a world champion inline skater. And she decided to transition over to speed skating a few months ago. And she went to the Olympic trials just for the experience of going to see how she's doing and how her skating's progressing. And she was entered into the 1,000 meters and the 500 meters. In the 1,000 meters, she placed 12th. Not too bad. And in the 500 meters, she got third place and the last Olympic berth for that race. So, which is amazing. That is amazing. And during the trials, like from one race to the next, her times like dropped by a second. It was crazy insane. And she's only like, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to have gone to something going in thinking, oh, hey, I'm just getting this for doing this for experience, gonna go have some fun. And the next thing you know, you're going to the Olympics. So it's been a crazy ride for Erin, and we had a great conversation with her. Take a listen. First off, let's talk about your transition from inline to ice skates. How, how was the transition, and, and why did you decide to do it in the first place? Uh, well, for the second part of your question, there's been like a really big flow of inline skaters over the ice for like the past decade. Uh, so I always knew that, you know, if I wanted to do something with the Olympics and, like, pursue those dreams, I'd have to switch over to the ice, uh, kind of like everyone else. <laughs> so a pretty big portion of the Olympic team for long track, uh, like, a pretty big portion is made up of inline skaters. Oh, that's really interesting. So then how was it to trans- transition from wheels to blades? So it was really difficult, and it's still really difficult. Uh, especially because I've been on skates my whole life, so I consider myself a skater, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I came over to the ice, and I'm like, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it I just... couldn't understand, like, why I wasn't good, because I had been on skates for as long as I can remember. Uh, so, yeah, it was really frustrating at first, just because I, I wasn't skating properly, and I didn't know how to skate properly. And it's mainly because I came in kind of at the tail end of the season. Um, like, I came in in September... And it's an Olympic year, so everyone's already, like, ramping up uh, for all this big stuff coming. So I come in not really knowing how to skate and just trying to jump in with people who are training for Olympic trials. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I didn't uh, – <laughs> it was like a crash course. Holy uh, God. So actually what I did was um, I went to a lot of the beginner classes and a lot of the open club sessions and things like that and, and a lot of short track sessions and just really tried to work on my technique and figure out, like, what I was doing wrong and how to, like, transfer – try to transform my inline technique over to ice technique. What what kinds of things have you had to change in your technique to make it work for ice? Well, uh, so if we want to get technical, I guess that'll be the easiest way to explain sure. it. So on inlines, you don't really have to work so much on your technique. I mean, it's nice to have, but it's not uh, as big of a make-or-break thing as it is on the ice. So with inlines, you kind of have like a, a flatter back when you're in your stance. Okay. And then this allows you to use your quads a lot when you're skating. Now, if you do that on the ice, you're not going to get much power out of it, and it's just going to be like a waste of energy, and you're going to burn your legs out. So for ice skating, you want to have more of a curve in your back, like oh, uh, arching okay. your back yeah. up. 
Okay. And then this allows you to activate like your glutes and your hamstrings and your hips and all that. Okay, so, so you're using more than just your thighs in on the ice. Right. So when okay. I first went out there, I was just trying to push okay. like an inline skater, and that works to a certain extent. But then you get tired, and then you stop. <laughs> you stop going fast, right? So that's kind of where I was. I was just trying to push like an inliner, and it wasn't really getting me anywhere. So then I like went to the beginner classes and got some extra technique work, and that's kind of where I started to put together like, okay, so I need to arch my back a little bit. I need to pull my hips under, uh, really sit a lot lower, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, just working on pushing more out to the side instead of kind of behind me. Oh, okay. So yeah, a lot of little technical things that I had to piece together. Okay. Do you, I mean, do the steel blades, do they have edges on them still or not? I mean, it's not as much as a wheel, but, but do you, can you feel a different edge when you like lean over and turns? Right. So if you're looking straight down at a blade, Mm -hmm. you've got an inner edge, an outer edge, and then a flat in the middle. Right. So when you're skating, uh, like down a straightaway, you should kind of transition from like slight outer edge to the flat and then to the inner edge to finish your push. Okay. And then in the corners, you should be on the inner edges the whole time. Okay. Was it hard to feel those edges? When you when you first got on uh, ice skates, yes. Um, so in the corners, it kind of takes a bit of trust. Okay. To just kind of like let go and lean that first time. So when I went out to Salt Lake City to try it out in like end of February through March, yeah, I just had to <laughs> had to work on getting used to that feeling and just kind of trusting the edge. Okay. Um, and then I left and went back to inlines and roller derby and all that. So then when I came back in September, uh, like, if you stay off the ice for too long, you completely lose the feeling, right? Oh, so when yeah. I got back in September, it was like I had to go through this all over again. <laughs> and my, my first race back in September, I got to my second corner and just, like, froze. <laughs> 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 yeah, so it was pretty bad. <laughs> but after that, you know, I, I got back into it, and it, and it wasn't too bad from there. Okay. Do you feel that clapper on your heels when you skate because the, the of the hinged blade? Yes, but I guess it's most noticeable off the start okay. uh, when you're running. So you're using a lot more force there. But once you're skating, uh, you don't really notice it okay. in your stride. Okay. And then um, I, I, I don't – I imagine what your social media feeds were like when you made the team – but my Facebook feed also blew up with all the roller derby people who were super <laughs> excited for you. So uh, yeah. I asked if they had any questions. And somebody asked about your the arm positioning when you skate. And, and do you, are you conscious about what your arms and hands do? Or is it that just kind of the, the reaction that the arms have when you're skating? Uh, that's uh, it's hard to say, but like yeah, she's yeah. like your your the hands fling back really in interesting ways. Is that on purpose and and uh, intentional, or is that just because you're skating? Right. So I should be focusing more on what my arms and hands are doing. Okay. But I've been very preoccupied with what my legs are doing. Right. Uh, so I haven't gotten to that stage yet. But yeah, it's definitely something I need to work on is uh, with my arm swing and all that stuff. Okay. What do you do for your off-skates workout? Have you had to, is that different from, obviously if the the skating technique is different than inline, are you working different muscles in your off-skates workouts too? Yeah, definitely. So we're doing more things to kind of like activate the hips and the, and the glutes and all that. They're kind of, it's kind of like a similar style of off-skate program. Okay. Um, you're just working different muscles. Okay. So it's still a lot of, um, like, static position things and a lot of plyometrics with jumps and squats. Okay. Do you... Uh... And then uh, biking as well, cycling. Oh, okay. Do you ever learn to love squats? Um, only in the way that, that I know they'll help me on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> What about the speed skating suit? I I have a hard time understanding what the the little area is on your inner thighs for. Right. So the majority of the suit is actually made of rubber. Okay. So uh, I guess you can imagine if you've got 
if you have like rubber legs and you're trying to cross them like past each other, uh-huh. um, there's going to be a lot of friction. Okay. Uh, so those patches are just to alleviate some of that friction. Oh, okay. Are they a different kind of material? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're they're not made of rubber. It's like a, a coating. Okay, that's that's cool. Then, do you have a different approach to your mental training for for ice skating versus inline, or are you using the same techniques that you've used building off of your inline career? Um, so I guess I can answer that two different ways. Um, I definitely think more about ice skating right now, okay. uh, like when I'm doing it, just because it's still really new. And with inline skating, I've been doing it for so long that it's all kind of muscle memory. Okay. Uh, but I haven't built that muscle memory yet for ice. So it's like I still need that coach on the side to, like, shout things out at me, like, okay, like, sit lower, uh, push further, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, so I, I still have to think a lot about uh, my ice technique just because it's it's still pretty new for me. Also wondered, like, what do you think about right before a race starts when you when you go out to the line and before they say ready? Do you do you think about anything in particular, or um, do you have a certain mental process or routine you think about, or do you think about nothing? Uh, yeah, I just kind of think about nothing <laughs> when I'm racing and just kind of hope that everything I thought about leading up to that point uh, is just going to take it home for me. Yeah, I don't really get nervous before I race, just from, I don't know, I've been racing at an international level for 10 years now, so it's all kind of, it's, it gets into a routine. Of course, this is a new sport, but, you know, it's still racing. It's still what I'm used to. So, yeah, at Olympic trials, when I went to the line, I had a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of excitement going through my body, like, what is this? What's about to happen? Uh, so that was really cool, but I, I don't really get nervous. It's more like, for that moment, I was pretty excited. Oh, cool. Do you know what you don't know about the sport yet? Um, I just know that I'm doing a lot of things wrong. <laughs> and I feel like that's a good thing because it means that I still have a lot to improve on and I can still keep making some jumps in my times. So that's really what I'm looking forward to is just kind of like isolating the things that I'm doing wrong. And, uh, of course, I won't be able to to get on all of those uh, before we get to the games, but I'll try to, I'm picking out a few key things and really working on those these next few weeks. Okay. How much time do you spend on the ice a day these days? Um, our sessions are normally just like maximum of two hours at a time. Okay. But just like once a day. Okay. And then we have two days off the ice. Oh, nice. Okay. You know, okay, so... Media coverage has really focused on the fact that you're the first African-American female long track speed skater and the fact that you've been speed skating for only a few months. How do you feel about the focus on those two elements of you versus your, uh, what you've been able to accomplish? Well, I think there's just like a big misconception when it first came out. The media was really running with that whole four month thing. Oh, yeah. And I feel like it doesn't really, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it sends the wrong message. Like, like, hey, I just decided to become an athlete one day and went to the Olympics. And that's not really how it was. Um, (laughs) I've been skating my whole life. I just tried this new type of skating. And yes, it's really different. But when it comes down to it, I'm still skating in circles, right? Right. Um, so, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's kind of misleading, just, like, the way they've been wording it. Like, it's technically correct, but I think it just kind of leads people to think the wrong thing. Okay. How fun is it to speed skate on the ice? Um, (laughs) good question. (laughs) (laughs) Compared to inline skating, I would say it's about half as fun. Um, but I'm getting there. I'm getting to the point where it's, uh, more enjoyable. Okay. It's just a lot more painful. <laughs> <laughs> so what... it's still new to me, so it's still frustrating that I'm, like, not, uh, not doing it as well as I would like to. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, if, you know, what's, the, what keeps you going then when it is so hard and it is so frustrating, like, when you take up, it, it, I mean, like, any sport, when you take it up, there's, 
sometimes a lot of growth really quickly, but there's also a lot of frustration with knowing that you have to get over these hurdles in order to get better and they're hard to cross. Well, it's the good kind of frustration. It's like the the motivating frustration, I'd say. So yeah, it's like, it's not making me angry or anything. It's more like, this is new and exciting and I just want to like get better as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess I'd call it like more motivation than frustration. Okay. Two other quick questions. What, what is the most important lesson your journey to the Olympics has taught you? I guess, uh, not to underestimate myself. Um, (laughs) just because like going into the games or sorry, going into the trials, I didn't really have any expectations for making the team. Mm -hmm. And then I guess that sort of mindset brought a lot of stress once I actually did make the team, just because it wasn't something that I had even remotely explored in my mind. So then when it happened, just a whole bunch of things changed in like the course of an hour. And I was like, what do I do now? (laughs) So I guess, like, if I had been a little better prepared for the possibility that I could have made the team, then, like, the next couple days wouldn't have been as stressful as they were. (laughs) Oh, okay. And and it's interesting, because mental mental training is just a huge aspect of any kind of athletic endeavor that you want to pursue at a a higher level, right? Yeah, so it wasn't so much about um, the mental aspect of the athletics. It's more about the planning Mm -hmm. and... uh, like changing plans that I already had in place and uh, figuring out plans to get my family there and just a whole bunch of things that I need to do before the game that I hadn't really counted on until it was like, <laughs> until it was happening. <laughs> and, and that's a, that's a nice segue. Cause I did want to say it's, it's expensive to go to, it's really expensive to have a last minute trip to Korea. And I'm imagining that, that the Federation doesn't have a, a ton of money to support, sending a lot of people over for for you, correct? Oh, yeah. The only support is to get myself over there, and then okay. the families uh, are kind of on their own to figure out, like, how to get themselves over there. Okay. But, yeah, I've got a fundraiser going to, to get my dad, and we actually have raised enough money to fund his trip, which is really nice. But then two of my, or my twin cousins are also going to make the trip over, which is really awesome because I was kind of worried about my dad making the trip by himself and and uh, international travel. Uh, so yeah, they've been taking care of his travel plans and, and they were able to get a passport expedited. So we're still waiting on that. But yeah, they've, they've definitely taken a lot of a lot of the work off of my shoulders and that's been nice. So the fundraiser is still going. And if we get enough money, like I'm just going to keep trying to, to fund their trip as well. All right. And uh, w- will we see you back on the roller derby track? Uh, Yeah, I have every intention of uh, skating this season with Jacksonville. Uh, It'll kind of be the same story with playoffs and chance, where I don't really know if I'll be able to make it to those. We just kind of play it by ear the past few years. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I'm definitely planning to be around for the season, and we'll have to see about postseason. But, yeah, that's kind of where I am now. If anything changes, (laughs) uh, it'll be a surprise to me, too. But, yeah. (laughs) Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking some time out to talk to me. Hopefully our paths will cross in roller derby sometime this year. Cool. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks again and good luck. We're rooting for you. you. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Erin. If you are interested in donating money to help Erin bring family members over to Pyeongchang with her, her website is uh, www.erinjacksonusa.com. That's E-R-I-N Jackson USA. And we'll put a link in our show notes. I, I was looking at uh, Mariah Nagas, who was having uh, a fundraiser to bring like extra people over. And they estimated it was going to cost like $11,000. Wow. Yeah, just for one person. So I know that Aaron's gotten enough money to bring her dad over. So it's it's really nice that the community has rallied around Erin and helped get her dad and is working on getting some more family members over to cheer her on. What what an experience it is, not just for her, but for them too. I mean, it's you gotta be so proud. Yes. I mean, I can't imagine the how exciting that was. And I thought it was interesting when she was talking about that now she has to wrap her head around this. Like she was, she wasn't prepared to do as well as she did. Right. And now that she's going, it, it sort of stunned her into, it seems like she was getting better even as the trials were happening. 
Yeah. Like yeah. Each race she does, she gets better and better. The the leaps she is making yeah. um, are amazing. Incredible. And it's just a testament to how hard she is working. Right. So it'll be fun to watch her. It'll be fun to watch how she does and how she approaches the competition. Because let me tell you, speed skating is a tough sport and it's tough even though the u.s has a really strong and deep team and they've got some big time veterans going back like shawnee davis is going back for i want to say it's his like fifth olympics but who killed it last time were the dutch and the dutch have always been a formidable presence in this sport and in sochi they took so many medals it was it's their crazy. thing yeah it's it's their, yeah, the, the country sport the yeah, the Flying Dutchman. They they speed skating is their their thing. I actually wouldn't want to be a Dutch speed skater. The pressure on those people because they're always expected to win. You know, the country right. expects the Dutch speed skaters to to win. Right. It's hard and, and it's competitive. Yeah. But you know, and one thing when I was doing some research for the show, like even the Dutch have to face the Dutch because like half, yeah. half of the medal winners from Sochi didn't even make the team this time around. That's how crazy right. talented and how amazing the the skaters are in the Netherlands. It's crazy. And and granted, one, one of the skaters from Sochi has retired, but it was just I kept reading stories of Dutch skaters who had won medals in Sochi and didn't didn't make the team this time around. It's because their their uh, king cheers them on. They have the best. Oh my god, they have the best royal family that come to the Olympics, and he sits there with his scarf and and he cheers, he jumps up and down. King William Alexander, and he's adorable, and his wife is gorgeous, and she sits there all beautiful with her blonde hair, and she wears her scarf, and and they have three girls, and they all go, and it's. So you got to watch out for the Dutch Royals. Right. They're, and, and they're fun to watch. They are fun to watch. And you can't, and the Dutch fans are fun to watch because they go crazy and they're they with their nuts. orange banners and scarves and everything like that all decked out. It's that, that helps make speed skating such a fun sport to watch. It, it really yes. is intense and ex- exciting. And you never know. Like I, the, I love watching speed skating. Yeah. It's just, it's mesmerizing. Looking at some names to watch out for if we're talking about the Dutch, you want to look out for Sven Kramer, who is a seven-time Olympic medalist, and then Irene Voost, who won five medals in Sochi. She's back. Okay, moving on. Yes, moving on to... Okay, so our other sport today is cross-country skiing, and today we are talking with Jason Albert, who is the host of Nordic Nation podcast on fasterskier.com which is your source for news about cross-country, biathlon, and Nordic combined. Jason and I talked at the beginning of January, and since our interview, some news has come out about some of the skiers he's talking about in our conversation. So we'll update you at the end of the interview. Jason, so cross-country skiing and the Olympics, it's for at least people in the U.S., it's kind of a quieter sport that doesn't get a lot of media attention. But why, why should people watch it? Good question. So um, here in the U.S., um, yeah, as you say, st- or as you stated, it is definitely the four-year cycle, um, the Olympic cycle that brings a ton of attention to Nordic sports, in particular cross-country skiing. And this year also happens to be um, there is just an incredibly strong U.S. women's team. And they are certainly probably favorites, even in, you know, if you go talk to commentators in Norway, Sweden, Russia, what have you, the traditional sort of powerhouses, that the U.S. women have an opportunity to do something historic in terms of w- winning medals. Okay, that that's really exciting, because I know that we just aren't, we really aren't known as a powerhouse. And between cross country and biathlon we're really starting to come up with our uh, come up through the ranks with our development programs and things like that yeah so like the women have really been on the international radar for a, a solid you know probably six years and there's been a core group of skiers and i'll kind of run through real fast and i'm hoping i'm not going to miss any um starting with keegan randall who i believe was a 2002 olympian um so Keegan Randall, 
uh, can knock off a great distance race known as a sprinter. Um, Ida Sargent is a sprinter. Uh, Liz Steven is a distance skier. Sadie Bjornsson is an all-rounder. And I'll get back to a couple of these skiers in a second. Um, and also uh, Sophie Caldwell, who is a kind of a, a rising star as well, who could easily medal um, in a sprint. And Rosie Brennan, who is, I would say, definitely evolved into a very solid all-around skier. She's scored World Cup points this year, which means top 30 in sprints. And she's always a threat uh, in the distance races. Okay, great. So we've got six events for the men and six events for the women this year. And Yeah, yep. Okay, uh, so... Some of them are like men have the 15 kilometer free, and then there's also a classic event. What's the difference between free and classic? So classic skiing is what, you know, if your grandparents, parents, what have you, uh, like what we traditionally think of as Nordic skiing or cross-country skiing. You are in groomed, machined tracks on skis that most often just glide, you're, you're gliding in those tracks. And you the, the wax techs or the specialist who prepare skis will put on um, what they call a kick wax under the foot and the ski is flexed such that when you're gliding hopefully that kick wax which is a little stickier under your foot doesn't grab the snow and then when you pressure it the kick wax grabs the snow and you can kind of run uh, in the tracks and so that's what we think of as traditional uh, cross-country skiing skating it's a little bit more modern. It's been around for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. And it's a technique where they call it skating because it does resemble ice skating in a way where you push side to side with the skis to propel, propel yourself forward. Okay. Did, did that style develop as a way to become faster? Is it faster than classic? Yeah, that's a good question. It is. It is faster than classic and the way it evolved and you you there's always an ongoing debate amongst uh people about like the dna of, of skate skiing but the way the story that i've been told is that a group of americans um bill coke in particular who was the last uh olympic medalist for the u.s um as a method of Moving faster, they would keep one ski in the track and one ski outside the track uh, using as sort of a skating motion. And you, you probably have to fact check me on this, but that evolved into probably using actual skating outside of the tracks. And it became an issue in terms of like people who weren't skating were obviously not moving as fast. And so they'd started to develop rules to differentiate the techniques and then um, create events where you were either using classic or using skate. Okay. Which is just kind of fascinating. I'm always interested in kind of the evolution of sports and how people who develop different techniques or find a way to get that edge, how that can really revolutionize the sport as a whole yeah so people who follow the world cup and maybe even the olympics have probably noticed that in particular on the men's side there's been what we call double polling uh classic courses so some of these guys are so strong they go out there with no kick wax on their skis that sort of sticky wax under their foot and they essentially just pull the whole course so there's been rules implemented, I believe, as of last year, where there's a minimum pole height, uh, max height for classic skiing. And essentially, organizers are kind of being forced to create harder courses so the hills are steeper so people can't uh, double pole. So the whole premise, some people would argue, is to prevent the evolution of classic skiing and sort of, you know, uh, secure the heritage of what we think of as traditional classic skiing in the sport. But in Pyeongchang, there'll be no double pulling because the courses, I mean, these Olympic courses are pretty stout. And so the hills are so steep that there'll be no, like, guys out there purely double pulling those courses. Wow. I, I can't imagine. I, I, I mean, I understand the desire to 
go faster and find a competitive edge to win. But then there's also like you lose the element of why you're skiing in the first place, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, that's a that that's sort of part of the debate is like, what is classic skiing? And there's great arguments on both sides to preserve it as we know it, and to allow it to evolve, just like most other sports have evolved, you know, whether it's carbon fiber equipment, or the way that like in track and field, if you look at historical benchmarks of performance for times, Yes, athletes have gotten stronger, but track surfaces have gotten a lot faster. You know, so so it's just a sort of a debate about how they wanted to evolve, if that makes sense. Oh, that's that's interesting. How do they make a, a track surface faster? Do you know? In track and field? Uh, no, in in oh no, in in well, I'm just thinking in skiing. Yeah, so I, my reference was to track okay. and field and just sort of how sport evolved. Right, right. Um, so the way so nowadays. Um, you know, if you talk to a World Cup skier who was on the circuit 20 years ago as, as compared to now, you know, they have large mach- machines, um, you know, groomers that use a tremendous amount of force to create the classic classic tracks. So they're in certain conditions where it hasn't, you know, it's not fresh snow. They're very firm, hard tracks. Okay. And they can just be you know, faster than the way they were prepped 20 years ago due to the machinery they're using to groom. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. And it's a wormhole because, like, <laughs> waxes, are, you know, waxes are faster, more toxic, but faster. You know, ski technology has gotten better. So things like that as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, there's a, a mass start classic uh, in Pyeongchang. What, what, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this because I, I think of having a mass start as being just a lot of chaos. Is that the excitement of that event or? That's a good question. So like the, the mass start classic in Pyeongchang, the, the men will contest a 50K mass start classic and the women will contest a 30K mass start classic. And those are cool events because they're easy to understand. You know, everybody starts at the same time and it's easy to decipher whether or not you're watching the TV or live timing, like who's in first through mm-hmm. 30th. Um, and there tends to be in particular this year, um, they're closer races. There's a lot more tactics at, at play rather than, uh, there'll be what, what is called the, the men's and women's uh, 15 and 10K free, respectively. Those are what are known as interval start. Skiers might leave the start gate at 30-second increments. So it's really kind of like a time trial. You're racing against the clock unless you have someone really fast in front of you that you can catch and pace off of. The, the mass start races involve a little more tactics, a lot more tactics. And as I mentioned, they're just a little more... Uh, viewer friendly to understand, and it also oper- you know offers the opportunity for skiers who might not be the best time trialist to be metal contenders because they can ski smart, they can draft on downhills. They're not someone that will be leading the pack per se. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Because it just involves a, lot, a different. You have to take a different strategy to your race. It seems like right because it, yeah, every yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, in particular, for people who are, you know, in North America, there's a Canadian guy, for example, who is the reigning uh, world champion in the 50K freestyle or the 50K skate. And his name is Alex Harvey. He is really a phenomenal skier. He has one of these, obviously, an amazing motor. But he also is a tremendous tactical skier. He's very shrewd in letting others do the work when he's not feeling up to it, or he himself will do the work on terrain that suits him. So he's someone to watch, you know, in the 50K Master Classic. And on the women's side, there are several American women. Um, first and foremost, Jesse Diggins, who I believe is ranked third in the world right now. Um, she's people usually think of her as a skate specialist. I mean, that's definitely no longer the case. I mean, she has is a powerhouse in both classic and skate skiing, and she's very savvy, super tenacious skier. So, she's someone in the 30k mass star classic on the women's side who could medal. Um, and also Sadie Bjornson, who is ranked 
seventh in the world. Um, she is also a U.S. skier. She, you know, easily could could medal in that event as well. A very smart skier, and people would say she's a better classic skier. But again, this year she's rounded out into like classic or skate. She's a content, you know, a top three contender. Okay, we will we will look out for all of them. You know, unfortunately, um, cross-country skiing has been in the Olympic news because of the doping results from Sochi. Has that affected any of what we'd see this year or or how the cross-country field shapes up? That's a good question. So um, it is true if you look at, and I just pulled up a New York Times article that I wanted to reference. Um, You know, if you look at events affected by the doping scandal that occurred in Sochi, and that has been verified. Um, So this isn't just like speculation. This has been ruled upon. Uh, There's been three different reports, independent reports on this. So biathlon and cross-country skiing were the two that were most heavily affected. Those skiers that were implicated, and some of them were medalists in Russia, are banned from both the World Cup and also banned from, my understanding, all future Olympic Games. So we will not see any of those skiers um, in Pyeongchang. That said, Russia is a very, very deep uh, cross-country powerhouse. And if you want to make the assumption that, you know, Russian skiers are clean, and that is debatable, um, you know, I just, I did an interview with uh, Justin Wadsworth, who's a former U.S. Olympian, U.S. ski coach, uh, former uh, Canadian head ski head coach uh, for their cross-country team, Um, you know, he still is very suspect because we do not know really what systematic doping means in Russia. In Russia, does it go to the junior level? Um, It's very easy to dope, say, a junior athlete and stop when they get to the senior, senior ranks. I mean, again, that's all speculation. That said, on the men's side, um, there are, a few Russians that are are quite good, and one in particular, his name is Sergei Yusugov. He was a, I believe, a five uh, earned five medals at last year's World Championships. So he will be skiing at the Olympics. He is again a threat in both sprints. He's a threat in uh, the distance events. A strong skier. He has not been implicated in. Uh, you know any of the Sochi uh, doping scandal, um, so he is free to contest the events at the games under uh, you know the neutral. He won't be in a Russian uniform. Right. He will be in a uh, you know a neutral IOC uniform. In addition, there's another Russian, Alexander Bolshinov, who is young. I believe he just turned 21, and he is a top-ranked skier in the world right now. And he is also going to be a medal contender. On the women's side, there are several, you know, solid Russian skiers, um, but they're not as deep as on the men's side right now. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. This has been really helpful and informative, and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how it shakes down. the The events sound really exciting. I'm, I, you know, we didn't talk about skiathlon, but I'm excited to see skiathlon because that combines both classic and the skate style so that that to me is going to be really interesting to see yeah that is a cool event and that is also one that alex harvey from canada is someone who shines in the skiathlon okay um yep so someone to keep your eye out for uh if you're watching that most definitely well thank you so much again and uh we appreciate having you on okay great Thanks thank for your you time. okay appreciate it Thank you, Jason, for being on the show and giving us an update about what to look for in cross-country. So since then, a bunch of the the cross-country athletes from Russia have been uh, not invited to the Games. So that is uh, Sergei Ustigov, uh, who wasn't banned when Jason and I talked, but now that he's he's been prohibited to the Games... And the amazing thing was he was a contender in the sprint and distance events. So that could change what the competition looks like at the Olympics. And then some other big names that the IOC released who are not invited to Pyeongchang were uh, Anton Shipulin, 
who is a big time biathlete on the, and he, he gets up there in the, the, he's been up there in the world cup circuit this year. So that is a big name to not see. And also short track speed skating gold medalist from Sochi, uh, Victor on. So big, big news from uh, the world of cross country skiing. Yeah. A lot of these events are going to get shaken up with these athletes, not there. Right. Uh, so it'll be it'll be interesting. It'll also be interesting to see how the Olympic coverage handles this. Yeah, with it the, will be. You know how because they're going to talk about it obviously with biathlon a lot because mm-hmm. and a lot of cross country because a lot of the Sochi medals were overturned. Mm-hmm. So I hope it doesn't. And I've said this before. I hope this doesn't take away from the athletes who are there and competing and working so hard. Right. in their sport and all the coverage focus on focuses on are the athletes who aren't there. Right. Because I mean, Russia submitted like 500 names of people who they thought could go. Right. They and submitted they only, yeah. Yeah, every possible athlete and, you know, Sergei, the uh, ski waxer and, you know, Olga, the cleaning lady. I mean, they put everybody on this list. Right. It was to... crazy. So, and they only got like 169 people, I want to say, did get the invite to go. So it's going to be a smaller team for them than what they had in Sochi. But it's it's surprising to see some of these big names not included on the list. And we talked about this last week, I think, where we said just because they weren't included doesn't mean they're necessarily accused of doping. The IOC is being very coy with this, and I don't understand the lack of transparency. I mean, lack of transparency is what got us into this mess in the first place. Right. So I wish the IOC was being more transparent with why athletes are not invited. Right. I mean, they gave gave reasons, but it's a really long and convoluted list of here's everything we looked at. So it's it's really and hard. Not but... assigning it to any particular athlete—that's the li- right. that's the reasons for the whole list. Right. So you don't know. Well, you know, the IOC has never been great with transparency to begin yeah. with. So maybe this is a baby step for that. Yeah. They this just is don't hard. know don't know how to do this. This is so. like those hoarding cases where the woman has you know five thousand dolls, and it's like five. Let's just throw out five dolls. It's like let's just reveal one thing. Right. Tomas Bach. Can can we just... So this is a big step for him. Yeah. Well, moving on to trivia. Um, so we were talking about long track, mm-hmm. but I have a question about short track speed Whoa. skating. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like how I made that little... That was good. Good on yeah, you. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, when did it become an official event at the Olympics? I think it was 92. Yes, it was. It was a demonstration in 88, official in 92, with two individual events and two relays. And that number has since doubled. Wow. They, now they do. Speeds, short track is an interesting, it's a fun sport to watch. That was the other sport I saw when I went in 2002. So I got to see Apollo Anton Ono skate. And it's really cool. I mean, because it's, it's, it is demolition derby of sorts, because you're all starting at the same time. And we didn't talk in... I uh, forgot to mention that long track speed skating has a mass start event this time. So it's going to be so much fun to watch how that goes. It's going to be like watching uh, uh, cycling. You know, you have your little peloton of of skaters in the in their little pack. And who's going to break out? Who's You know, when are they going to sprint? When are they going to... But this is going to be a bit like opera fans thrown into a mosh pit. Because long track skaters are not accustomed to racing like that. In a sense, I mean, they probably had this event on their circuit for a while, but we haven't. But been, still, at the at the fun. Olympic level, and and that was probably fun. They'd be like, "What are we doing? Why are we all touching each other? This is not right. I should have my lane." And we we exchanged nicely. I have no idea what accent that was. <laughs> I, I I don't know. Okay, well, I have I have a bunch of questions as always because now okay. I'm prepared. Let me give you a cross country skiing one because we talked okay. about speed skating. Okay, so until Ole Einar Bjorn Dahlen, biathlete and king of the Winter Olympic medals, yes, until he toppled this guy's record, this cross country skier had the most medals of any Winter Olympian. Do you know and who this is? It is a fellow is countryman it, to Ole yes, Einar. it's like. 
and his name is similar too. Isn't it like Bjorn Dolly? Yes, very good. Bjorn Dolly, who has 12 medals. Uh, He accumulated them between 1992 and 1998. And he was the only one to have eight gold medals until Bjorn Dolly got a gold medal in Sochi and matched him. Yeah, I, I, I get them confused in my head. Because right. their names are so similar. Right, right. Bjorn Dolly, uh, that's first name and last name, and Bjorn Dalin is just a last name. But, right. Exactly. But, like, do you remember watching Lillehammer and it was like all Bjorn Dolly and he was just amazing? No. Oh. <laughs> I do. Remember. I never, you know, I never really watched cross country. I, I have not in the past watched cross country skiing. Okay. I, I think just because it takes, I don't like the way it's covered. Because it's almost always covered as a package. I hate when they package events. Right. And they don't show you things live and you don't see the finish and you don't see things happening. It's like they point out what's important. It's like, no, let me decide what's important. Right. And they have like, you. you it's really hard to kind of figure out where on the course they put the cameras because it's jump from one to jump to the next. And that happens in like bobsled too. I mean, they can only have so many cameras along Right. The track. So you're going from curve to curve to curve or whatever. But you it's sometimes hard to get a sense of how long like the 10 kilometer race actually is. Yes. When they're when they're doing it and they're yeah jumping back and forth. So it's interesting. It'll be it'll be fun to kind of stream that this time you're around. Right. And I and wish they see. did more overhead shots. so You could see right. how long the course actually is. is right. Right. And maybe get a better sense of how steep some of those inclines are. Right. I yeah, I just don't think you get a good feel for for cross country on TV. No, and I wonder if if they'll be using any drone technology this time around. It would oh, be awesome yeah. if they could. I mean, I can understand like the fear that a drone would break and crash down and hurt somebody, but it would be really cool to get those overhead shots, like you said. We only have a few more days. Days. I know. I know. We days, days away. away. It's crazy to think about. So, <sighs> well, we better go take naps. I know. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Tell a friend, and we'll see you next week. Days. Days away. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Fever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. The IOC is being very coy with this, 